0: Now let me ask you a question, are you frustrated with how long it takes to get stuff done in your construction company or with how chaotic or confusing things seem to get? Well then let me tell you about a much better way of getting work done and let me tell you about an amazing tool that will help you overcome the frustrating log jams in your construction company. Sweet Process is a simple but powerful tool that lets you create clear step-by-step instructions for every task in your construction company, from writing proposals to executing client work to responding to client requests, so everything gets done more easily and more reliably. Plus, you'll have a central place where everyone who works with you, your employees, contractors, and even virtual assistants can access your procedures anytime from any device. The best way to understand how Sweet Process streamlines your work is to start using it. The company offers an amazing 14-day free trial, but as a loyal listener of this podcast, you can try for 28 days free of charge. You don't even have to enter a credit card to get started. Just navigate to sweetprocess.com backslash AFT construction to start your free 28-day trial today.
1: It's going to be interesting for people to meet the women who were a part of this. The entire construction labor workforce, less than 3% are females. We don't have them here. We don't have them here in Utah. We had to start getting sponsorships from people that were willing to pay for flights and hotels. Probably sent out 500 messages to different tradeswomen I found on Instagram to end up with less than 20 that we actually flew here. But it was the best 20 I could have ever found. Like, it would not have been the same experience with anyone else. It was amazing.
0: Welcome to episode 89 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And we have a super special guest with us today, Stephanie Sharp. And Stephanie has an incredible background from her days in architecture to the Nitro Circus and then back to construction. And she serves currently as the president of the Utah Professional women in building. She's working on the house that she built, which you can follow on Instagram. So, the Utah Valley Parade of Homes is in June. And this is a home built by women. And not only is it built by women, but there is a charity aspect for women in the trades. And Stephanie has an amazing insight just about bringing that women empowerment into construction and what she's done with her calling, if you will, and the all of the experience that she has and the knowledge and her background and how the Nitro Circus propelled her to what she's doing now. And also so many things that she learned in Nitro Circus. And what's even more amazing is how she balances everything on her plate from the charity aspect to her calling as the president, as well as her own construction company. So ton of great information. You'll love this episode with Stephanie. Without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the Construction Podcast, and I'm Brad Levitt. And today we have with us Stephanie Sharp, and she is the president of the Utah Professional Women in Building. So welcome, Stephanie.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Super excited to have Stephanie. She's doing some amazing things right now, not only in the industry, but also there in her local market in Salt Lake that we're going to dive into. But Stephanie, I think it's really important for all listeners as we bring in a guest and especially with your background to give a little context, background into what brought you into construction and your story is pretty unique because my understanding is you were in Nitro Circus before construction.
1: I was kind of right in the middle. So I started in high school going to um, school for architecture. So took a bunch of drafting trades kind of programs in high school. I started working for an architecture firm at 16. As soon as I had a driver's license and I could get myself there, I started working there. Did that till I was 21 and realized I never really got a chance to be a kid. So (laughs) that's that's kind of where Nitro Circus came in on. And you know, it was started here in Draper, Utah. And I was kind of raised around the people who did it and got a connection to go into that. And I did it for five years and loved it. So yeah.
0: So did you do any of the daredevil things that they do were you part of that or how what was your involvement in Nitro Circus?
1: <laughs> My involvement was production assistant. I also helped with like all of the travel when we traveled the world filming our 3D movie. Um served as like an assistant mechanic on the 3D movie. Kind of pretty much anything. When you work for Nitro Circus, you do A we're to a Z. Lot of hats. <laughs> you wear every hat. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of all over the place, but yeah, I got the opportunity to do a lot of cool stuff that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise, so.
0: So that's interesting. I mean, if you're doing the production side, you know, especially on the 3d moves as you're traveling, I mean, has that had an impact on you just as far as the way you look at marketing or branding or video content?
1: Absolutely. I mean, prior to that, I wasn't very knowledgeable with marketing. I mean, I had a little bit of experience here and there. Um, But yeah, going into a production company and a production company who's filming a 3D movie, which was self-funded. And, you know, we all, again, kind of did multiple things. There was days that I was helping with sound. There was days that I was a production assistant. So yeah, I really do think that the whole Nitro Circus experience did help me on the marketing side of things, but probably more than marketing, it was networking. So like, just getting to know people, getting to know what they do, how they can help you in the future and how you can help them in the future. I think that was something I learned that was really valuable to me.
0: So what's the funnest place you're able to travel?
1: Australia. I think that's been my favorite for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. I, it's fun because a couple of my coworkers are big natural circus fans. So I'm, I'm very familiar with, you know, a lot of the things they do, which is pretty amazing. And you know, it's a true talent. I mean, it's, you know, you're Mm -hmm. exposed to. You know, all that trying to produce it, you know, get the content, show the 3d and, and hopefully cross your fingers, no injuries, right. When they're out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it that people watching it in theaters. Don't, don't understand. Don't see there's uh, safety nets that get taken by customs. So we're doing stunts where we don't have safety nets just because we didn't have them. <laughs> um, there's that's a lot of stuff that goes into it. That's crazy, but yeah.
0: So, uh, and, and that's one thing people don't think about, you know, when we watch the Olympics, you know, our athletes that are traveling, you don't think about, well, the pole vaulter, how's he get his pole right? And is mm-hmm. everything there, you know, on the facility and our athletes. And so it's no different for you where it's not just you traveling to Australia. Now you're bringing an entire operation and there's mm-hmm. an entire logistics to get through customs, as you mentioned, to make sure all your product ends up where it should be.
1: Yeah. And especially in that kind of a situation where it's Australia to Panama, to Maryland, to Utah, to Vegas, it's, it's not one flight. And it's sometimes not even a flight. We're on a bus crammed in a bus all together. But yeah, there's a lot of logistics that goes behind all of that. And considering it was a self funded movie, um, it didn't have like the big movie budget that you see on mm. typical films. So it was it was kind of a unique situation, but we all learned to work together. We learned to do multiple things because we had to, we had to make sure it worked and we had to make sure it worked in as much of a budget as you can, <laughs> but.
0: Which is tough. And now we try to do that in construction, which is uh, somewhat impossible at times.
1: Yeah. Especially today. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know COVID's made it a little complicated. So what do you miss most about, you know, those, uh, those days in natural circuits and traveling?
1: Um, I think for me traveling, it was really cool just to be able to, for a living, I woke up, went to work. One day I was flying to Maryland. The next day I'm spending a week in Panama. The next day I'm two months in Australia. Like it's, you got to bounce all around and it wasn't, I mean, it was vacationing, but you got paid and I think that was really cool. It was a really great experience for me, but you know, you learn a lot of lessons through different jobs that I think end up working out in your favor and your in your long-term career. So I learned a lot from Nitro and I appreciate it. And I still get to see them all the time. So I love it.
0: Yeah. It's nicer close by. So let's, <laughs> as we bring this into construction. So yeah, what's amazing. You had the experience as an architect, so you really got to understand mm-hmm. behind the scenes and drafting and CAD mm-hmm. and how, what goes into the design of a house. So what brought you or, or what made that decision? Okay. Nitro Circus, this was amazing, but I'm ready to pursue my next venture.
1: Well, I think for me, um, it was timing. I was just at a point in my life, um, there was a big change with Nitro Circus, it got sold. They were moving to California. I'm born and raised here in Salt Lake. I wasn't really in a position where I wanted to move. So I decided I needed to kind of make a change and and move on to a long-term career, something that I could do for the rest of my life, that I knew I could take care of myself and my future family. So I went back into architecture and, um, I applied for a job here in North Salt Lake with a company called Symphony Homes and they did not need to give me a chance. <laughs> I mean, it had been like six years since I had ever messed around on Revit or AutoCAD. I mean, it was, they were winging it and it, and it ended up working out really well for me. Like I worked there for six years. I did architecture them. I ran their marketing department. I got a real estate license, started selling real estate. So I, I owe a lot to them. They they really took a chance on me.
0: That's awesome. So when you were there working, so you mentioned you you worked on Revit, you ended up getting mm-hmm. your license. What was your role, you know, as far as your background and things that you worked on, you know, at Symphony Homes?
1: Yeah. So I just started as an architectural designer and I actually helped do that throughout the entire process that I was there. Um, ran their marketing department, so marketing manager, and then just sales agent. So I kind of took on as many hats as I could. Um, for me, I come from a home building family. So my dad has built custom homes here in the Valley my entire life. And most people know him and know his work. And it was really important to me, knowing if this was the career I was going to go into, I wanted people to know me before they knew me as Steve's daughter that was really important to me so i i tried to figure out everything i could and learn everything i could and um, that way i at least had the knowledge and wasn't afraid to ask questions so
0: yeah it's really smart you know i always one of the common topics in the podcast is chase experience not money and a lot of us get caught up in you know the financial side which is important we're all trying to do that but as you mentioned i mean the ability for you, that versatility, say, okay, I understand architecture. I'm gonna go into real estate. And then also the superintendent, the construction management side. Well, you put this together now, you as an individual, Stephanie, you're a lot more valuable, not only to our industry, but to your employer or eventually yourself, if you're gonna own your own company, where you have understanding of how a project starts, how it ends, and then how it, you know, works in the future, you know, when it's bought and sold.
1: Right. Right. I think that's that I mean Something he my dad always instilled in us was just learn, educate yourself, learn as much as you can. And I knew I was going to be in construction forever. So it was just really important for me to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If you don't know the answer, ask it. It's that's just kind of always been something he's taught us. And it's it's served me really well. So I appreciate good advice.
0: (laughs) And so now today, you know, are you spending more time in the field? Are you in the office? You know, what does that normal day look like?
1: Yeah, so I left Symphony Homes about five years ago. Um, I now work side by side with my dad building custom homes. Um, I got a general contractor's license three years ago. And so now the two of us kind of run all of our projects. And so my days can be extremely different. There's one day I'm in the office doing invoices and billing and. Printing checks, there's the next day that I'm in the field all day, and you know it just it depends on what's going on at any given time, but we we're a fairly small company. We have three carpenters and then my dad and myself, and so we don't have superintendents, we don't have project managers. it's kind of us that run the job, and he does that because he wants it to be personal he you know it's it's a big purchase, the biggest purchase you'll probably make in your life and um, so for us. We want these customers to know who we are and if there's a problem call our cell phone and if we run into you at the grocery store say hi like we you know it's we don't want you to meet steve and stephanie in the office and then oh here's your project manager see you later that's just not our our business model we're a little different in that way
0: yeah i love that the little more hands-on approach and that Mm -hmm. relationship is so key with your client you know but from logistics side this fascinates me because you know, as an owner operator, and you there there's so much on your plate. And and you referenced mm-hmm. this earlier in the conversation working at Nitro Circus, you know, there was a lot asked of you. You had to wear a lot of roles, a small company, you're traveling, mm-hmm. doing your own production and financing that. So now it really cued you up for what you're doing now, mm-hmm. you know, doing office estimating, you know, business development and then mm-hmm. also the superintendent, which we all know being in the field, the amount of work that is to manage any project from front to back.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, I think today's clients are also becoming a little more. Um, I don't want to say difficult, I just think that they require more attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that things have changed um, over the last few years in a sense that customers used to be fairly easy at making decisions or um, fairly easy on the job. And now people just demand more of your attention, which is that's what you're there for. You're you're there helping them make the biggest purchase of their entire life and build in our cases most of the time their dream home, their final custom big dream home and um they deserve all your attention. They deserve you to know, answer your phone, but it's um it becomes more difficult. It becomes harder to run the office day to day. It becomes harder to do invoicing. It becomes harder to sit in the office for you know, 40 hours and do a bid for a client because you've got five others calling, so times are changing it. We might need to grow a little, but (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It,
0: It is true. And then you add the complication of, of material and backlog and lead times, and just trying to manage that scheduling and the communication with all of your vendors and suppliers. Right. And then the execution, as you mentioned, I mean, clients today, it's whether they're more savvy, whether there's more information out there or just that client experience, right? That is super important to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, the hands-on as you are, is very valuable because they, there's a connection to Stephanie and Steve, right? There's a connection Mm -hmm. to you, which is what attracts them. But then there's also the side that you're trying to manage all the ins and outs of construction. So how are you setting expectations Mm -hmm. or balancing, you know, that communication with the client to say, Hey, um, Cause every client's different. Some are not as needy we'll say, or as you know, mm-hmm. they don't need as much constant reassurance or communication and some right? it's, it's, it's a repetitive thing. You know, you may get texts at nine o'clock on a Sunday night and 6 PM on a Wednesday and so how do you balance that aspect with the clients being so hands-on?
1: Yeah, we, we do have quite the variety. We've got some that are, you know, they make a decision, they go on vacation and they come back two weeks later and they're happy with the decision they made and things move on. Um, but we do, we have other clients that we definitely have to set those boundaries. Because again, we have we have families, we have things to go home to at night. If the house is still standing and not burnt down and not flooding, <laughs> you don't need to call at 9 p.m. on a Sunday. But yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult to pinpoint it to one specific thing. I think it's completely client related. I think we have to address it per client and how we're going to move forward with each client, but honesty, transparency, just being upfront with them right from the beginning, it tends to make things a lot easier than, um, I guess the alternative, but the other, the other good thing too is just having kind of a line of communication of, okay, if there are changes, please send it to me in an email. You know, if you want to call me and just chit chat about, whatever, the way your stone looks and how much you love it, please do. But if you have like a change you want to make, send it over to me in writing. It's just easier that way for me to manage things and deal with things. But I think we've been very lucky in the fact that we have a nice balance of people at the moment. Um, so it hasn't been too hard, but.
0: So I'm who, sure who it, does more the sales? Is it, yeah. Is it you, Stephanie or your dad? I mean, who's driving some of the business development for future clients?
1: we don't do any marketing we do zero marketing (laughs) so um all of our clients come to us through word of mouth and that's kind of been the way my dad's built his entire business and um, it's done really well for him clearly he he has plenty of work um it does also provide you with clients that are a little more your style. I mean, we, we obviously have a house page, because that's extremely important right now. And um, everybody gets on house and Pinterest to look at everything. And so we have a house pro account, and we get a lot of leads through that. But I would say that the generation of leads through house are um, very rarely something that actually fits in our wheelhouse, just because what we do is so different. You know, the regular, Hey, I want to remodel my master bathroom or want I want to remodel my kitchen, we can't, when we're looking at profitability of a job and like the time we're going to spend to accomplish these jobs, it doesn't make sense for us to take on little projects like that. Mm -hmm. So it's the sales aspect of it is really easy for us because we don't, we don't really have to sell, sell anything, but like, you know, when it comes to sales, I think the hardest part for us is even if it is a referral and we have a client come into our office with, with a set of plans they want us to bid, um, most likely they have a couple other builders doing the same thing, bidding it for them. And that's fine. We're, we're okay with that. But we know that where we're at our market, there are some builders that are going to tell them they can do it for half of what we can and we'll lose right. those jobs. But in the long run it's not half of what we said it would be. Um, it's probably more than what we said it was going to be. And your process was more difficult and more stressful and less enjoyable. But those might not have been the clients we needed anyways, I guess is is kind of where I'm getting at. It's I think it's fate that you end up with the right people, the right clients. And we've been really lucky with that. But I don't know, maybe at some point we'll have to worry about sales.
0: (laughs) Well, the good news is at least you have a good marketing background. So if that ends up being the direction you have that skill set, right?
1: Right, right. Hopefully it comes in handy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how do you manage the selection side? Are you working with designers and architects? Are you running that a lot yourself internally?
1: Depends on the client. Again, um, a lot of our clients come to us with interior designers, which makes my life a lot easier.
0: It is. Um,
1: It's I I always say I love watching them make their selections. I love their choices. I love seeing what they pick. It's just not my niche. I'm not I'm not the interior designer. I can tell you I really like that, but that doesn't mean that you like it. I don't know. It's just that's not my thing. But we do have clients that come to us and they have a really good idea of what they want. They might have a really good house idea book set up for Multiple different areas in their house, and you know, two or three choices in each one of those. And it makes it really easy for me to go through it with them and say, Okay, these are the three things that you picked that you like. Let's narrow it down. And in those situations, I'm happy to help them do it and not have them spend tens of thousands to hire a designer because they're pretty aware of what they want. And those clients that have interior designers, they usually make it really easy for me. And then Other than that, occasionally we'll get someone that really doesn't know what they want and it starts to get a little difficult and we'll try and refer them out to someone else. Just, I would love to say I have more time, but I don't have more time to try and figure out how to be a designer. So,
0: No, there's only so many hats you can wear. And this is what's really interesting Mm -hmm. because as you know, you've set the table as far as, you know, the size of the company, your scope of work and what you do and the amount you have on your plate. And here we are now. With the house that she built, right? So, as if you, you didn't have focus on enough, um, you know, have all your energies assigned to so many different tasks, Stephanie, but now it's the house that she built. So, explain mm-hmm. to our listeners, you know, this is super exciting, you know, what that is.
1: Yeah, the house that she built is um, a really incredible project. Uh, the Utah Professional Women in Building. We started our group here in Utah three years ago, and um, we all started and did meeting and start getting.
0: Did you I start that or how did that come to fruition?
1: Yeah, I didn't. Um, uh, Kristen Smith, who sits on the board of directors for the Salt Lake Home Builders Association with me, she kind of spearheaded that whole thing and got it going and served as our president for the first two years. Um, and then we had Christy Allen serving as our president last year and I am president this year. So we are four years into this now. And after meeting quite a few times, we decided, well, we want to do something that's big. We want to do a big wow project, we want to do something fun and crazy. And we came up with the house that she built. (laughs) And the the whole idea behind it was that it was an all woman built home, the nation's first all woman built home, and we're all gung ho and we have big dreams and big ideas. And uh, you slowly realize that there aren't that many women. And so the dream of it being a hundred percent women built home, we kind of had to readjust and change to women built, women owned companies, men teaching women. But I think we have probably accomplished more than 90% of the entire house with female labor.
0: So that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a big accomplishment. It's a little emotional at this point because here we are. A week away from the parade of homes, starting this house is done. It's done on time. It's beautiful. It's great quality. And it was a huge lesson for a lot of us. It it taught us a lot. we made a lot of great friends. It's, I could talk about the house that she built forever, but it's,
0: but, but it's do something so. So you we, have
1: to experience.
0: <laughs> yeah. But when you say you learned a lot, like what are some of the things, you know, that you learned in, in taking on this venture?
1: Yeah, so. The House That She Built project was different in the fact that we wanted it to be one, all women, two, the biggest part, all donated. So we didn't plan on pulling a construction loan. We didn't plan on spending money for this home. The idea behind it was to have everything donated and the labor included. So I think first off, when I work on my normal day-to-day jobs, I rarely see females on my job site. I have a couple of great female subcontractors that are, you know, in and out or females that own companies that I use quite a bit, but I rarely see women on the job site. So I think that was the first big lesson we all kind of learned was you get a whole bunch of really powerful, really strong-minded women together, and it's not as easy <laughs> as you would, <laughs> you would expect, <laughs> or maybe you would, I don't know. <laughs> But it, um, that was a learning lesson for me in particular, just because I am very much the tomboy. I've been around my dad my whole life. I just have my dad's mentality of straightforward, right to the point, not a whole lot of emotion behind it. And so walking into a project with all women who there is a lot of emotion and there is a lot of passion and, you know, excitement behind it, it was learning how to work together. And if I could say one thing that I came out of the project, with uh, something that I'm better at is definitely communicating with people, and working together with women better, just because I, I don't, in my day to day job, typically do that. So, you know, that that was a big challenge. The the other big challenge was donations, we're talking about um if i when i initially bid this house so this was prior to us starting we had the design drawn up we had most of the specs picked and i sat down and did my bid process just like i normally would for any other client i needed to know in my mind what was the retail cost of this home and what was my hard cost what was it going to cost me to build it if i had to pay for it and for me, that was really important, just because I, I've i served as the community service chairman for the Salt Lake Home Builders Association. And we just right now are in the midst of another donation-based cabin project for a really great charity here in Salt Lake. And it's difficult. It's not easy to get materials for free. It's not easy to ask people to come work for free. It's, um, it's a big task. And so I, I went in a little jaded But getting those donations became difficult and became even more difficult as COVID started coming around, right? We broke ground September of 2020. So we're in the middle of starting to run into shortages and starting to run into supply issues and starting to run into people being shut down and um, begging for Sixty thousand dollars in lumber.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say because when you start thinking about lumber prices now, and and it, you know I've done some charity work not mm-hmm. to this extent. I think it's an amazing task to say we're gonna build an all women home. You know, labor and management, and then also have it all donated. Now we're, you know, it's a very complicated mm-hmm. ask, if you will. Just mm-hmm. you know, I look at the donation side to get all these vendors to buy in, and and really when they looked at it, was that a big uh, presentation for them? The sales pitch in a way to say, hey. The charity aspect, which we'll get into, but not only that, but hey, this is the first all woman built home.
1: Some yes, and some no. Surprisingly, um, I started kind of my sales pitch at the International Builder Show in Vegas. So it was 2019. Uh, we attend that builder show every single year. I had prepped myself and got all these little jump drives and put our business plan on it and all of our bios and information about who we were and what we were doing. And then I laminated my business cards and like attached them to it with little keychains, thinking, okay, I'm gonna run around and like just pitch Hand this to everybody I mm-hmm. can. Yeah. Um and there were some people that I gave them to that probably just turned around and threw them away. But I mean, Builders First Source, I purchase all of my lumber through Builders First Source for my day to day job. Um, my salesman introduced me to his boss who introduced me to his boss and his boss and his boss, and I sat in the builders first source dinner party that they do every year at IBS, um, being introduced to the head of builders first source, the guy gave me 15 minutes and I explained what I was doing. And he said, you don't need to say anymore. whatever you need, whatever we have that we sell that you need, consider it a donation. Wow and it was like the first time someone had said yes to me on this project and especially yes in such a way of like what we're talking about rough lumber finished lumber trusses floor trusses all of the doors all it's it wasn't a small donation from them and someone well especially because if i
0: yeah, if I interrupt you, it's interesting because when you had this conversation in 2019, they're like, yeah, that's great. And then here you are to ask for it and it's 300% <laughs> higher. Right.
1: I know. And I thought at some point guys, this is just, they're going to say, no, we can't, we can't give you any more, but they never did. They never did. We got down to the very, very end. And the last thing we needed to build was our deck out back. And we had a little bit of trouble running into like. LVLs for the beams and that was the only thing that we couldn't get and we just had to wait and they got it to us and there was no questions asked but yeah i mean to have someone say yes to you like that same thing happened with amsco windows and train they donated all the hvac equipment Um, bowman kemp donated all of our steel a lot of these people were yes absolutely count me in and whether it was based off of a relationship I had in my personal business or a relationship that maybe my dad had that he introduced me to, um, those, those were great. And on, you know, that was kind of our driving force to get going. And then moving on from there, we had this team of incredible women that maybe weren't hands-on on on the job site on a day-to-day basis but they wanted to be hands-on on on this project. So two people that were like really key in this were Natalie Miles and Jenny Tanner. And um, Natalie's kind of an exterior designer. She does a lot of interior design too. Um, And Jenny Tanner owns a really successful hardware company here in Salt Lake called Tanner Glass and Hardware. And the two of them, again, on top of having normal, you know, nine, nine, (laughs) nine to five jobs, Or in Jenny's case, running a wildly successful business offered to donate their time to help us find labor and material donations. So, you know, Natalie on the material side would make phone calls all day in between her normal job to try and get whatever we didn't have donated. Um, Jenny is trying to find women to come in on this project. And when we're talking about the fact that women make up less than 3% 3% of the actual construction labor workforce in the nation. And these crazy kids from Utah decided they wanted to build a house of all women. Well, how are we gonna find this 3%? Like, where are they? So I, I have to give more credit to those two than anybody. I mean, that that was that was no small job, especially to take on on top of your normal job. And then, In addition to that, they're on site like, teach me how to frame, teach me how to pour footings, teach me like they, they actually were interested, which a lot of people were, and a lot of people helped in a bunch of different areas that they didn't have experience in, but now they do. So I think that's one of the other really cool aspects of this project.
0: Yeah. I love that you're able to shine the light and bring so much experience. And I think back, there was a project we participated in and it's a charity for Phoenix Children's Hospital. And this was back in 2016. And, you know, we had a design competition and it was to raise funds for Phoenix Children's. And it was this big event over a year long, um, you you know, schedule. And it was interesting because I spent the time finding the donations and finding companies that would be participants and sponsors. And I got to be honest, it was exhausting. It was a lot of work and it was nothing to this scale. And I think for anyone listening, that's not in construction, you know, when you're managing... A budget, you know, and and forecasting and schedule and scheduling, you know, our trade partners and get them out there. I mean, it is it is a job in itself. It's a monumental task to do it right. And then for you, Stephanie, as you're running a business and you're doing this on the side, and it's all women built. I mean, the amount of complexity here, it's hard to really communicate the challenge. And me being a builder, I can relate, but I don't think people really grasp the amount of work and effort that went into this. Things are heating up and we're excited to kick off the summer with our friends at Ledge Lounger, the pioneers of in-pool furniture. Their signature chase is one of the most iconic pieces of poolside furniture you'll see in backyards or high-end resorts all over the world. Visit their Instagram and you'll know instantly what we're talking about. With material rated to withstand chlorine, salt water, harsh outdoor environments, and withstand of up to 16,000 hours of direct sunlight, it's no wonder the most luxurious resorts trust Ledge Lounger. One of the things we love most about Ledge Lounger is the partnerships to industry professionals that can take many forms from providing inventory to partners or shipping orders directly to clients to providing design services. It doesn't matter if you're a pool or home builder, interior designer, landscape architect, or even a furniture store, you will get the same nurtured hassle-free partnership every step of the way. Ledge Lounger is proudly made in the USA and has expanded to include full collections of in-pool seating patio furniture, and outdoor games. To learn more or become a dealer, visit ledgeloungers.com backslash AFT. That's ledgeloungers.com backslash AFT. Now we're super excited to welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows, and this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them, and they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So For anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode.
1: It's going to be interesting for people to meet the women who were a part of this. because. Again, 3%, the the entire construction labor workforce, less than 3% are females. And so we don't have them here. We don't have them here in Utah. We had to start getting sponsorships from people that were willing to pay for flights and hotels. And now we're reaching out nationwide. And thank goodness we have social media, Instagram specifically, because that's where I found 90% of the women that we had come in from other states was on Instagram. But I probably sent out 500 messages to different trades women I found on Instagram to end up with less than 20 that we actually flew here. But it was the best 20 I could have ever found like it would not it would not have been the same experience with anyone else. It was amazing.
0: So that's interesting. So when you talk about, you know, the all women built home, what percentage of those that worked on the home were there local and what percentage did you have to bring in out of state?
1: Yeah. So, um, everyone was local with the exception of about those 20 women that we brought in. So they had, we had two plumbers that came from Pennsylvania that did rough plumbing for us and, um, they do it for a living and that's the best we could find the closest we could find. And also you've, you've got to think like, I I send out how many messages and it's some random girl that's saying, Hey, if I buy your flight and get you a hotel room in salt Lake city, Utah, do you want to come work for free for me for a week? <laughs> like if I got that message on Instagram, I don't know that I would respond. Like it yeah. it doesn't seem real. Right. So we had them and then I had a team of finished carpenters. The finished carpentry section of the house was kind of my baby. Um, That's something that here at Stephen Daly Construction, we take a lot of pride in is finished carpentry and we do all of our own finished trim. So um, I took that portion on and flew a bunch of different women in. Um, We had a total of eight of us that came from all over the United States, from Seattle to Maine. And it was the best two weeks of my life.
0: So you actually trained them and had the equipment and we're walking through all the trim install.
1: Well, I didn't need to train them was the great part. They were all insanely qualified. Like these women were all carpenters from all over the United States (laughs) and they knew what they were doing. Um, thankfully we have all the equipment, we have all the tools, we have everything we need, so that was really easy for me, but I just. Yeah, I, I got on Instagram and Googled DIY. I Googled carpenter, female carpenter, anything I could find that would lead me to these women. And I ended up with the best group of women that I could have asked for to be here. And now a whole handful of new best friends that I would have never known otherwise. So.
0: Yeah, you know, when, when you're in the trenches, as they say, working, you know, you build some camaraderie <laughs> and friendships that are long lasting. There's no doubt about that. You know, so what's the charity aspect? When you I mean, what was the incentive to say we're gonna do this, you know, w- without a client, without someone financing this, which the Pray to Homes, which we'll get into to explain to listeners what that is. Um, and, and so it puts you in a different category. I mean, you're trying to have all this donated. And so what was the charity aspect and why was that important?
1: Yeah, we split it up into multiple different areas. So sixty percent of the proceeds are gonna to go to scholarships for young women. Any trade related program they wanna go into, whether it's Architecture, plumbing, electrical, project management, framing, anything. 60% of those proceeds are going to go to scholarships for young women. And that was important to us because of that percentage. We're talking about a minimal, minimal fraction of the total construction labor workforce that is actually women. And overall, we look at our labor workforce, and I'm sure you see it as well. We need people, we need bodies, we need anybody. Mm-hmm. And so, If we can take the 3% of women and double it, it's going to make a huge impact. So that was for us, the biggest part. So 60% of the proceeds will go to that. Um, 20% are going to go to a local domestic violence shelter. It's called life start village. And they have a really, really incredible program. They. I can't remember exactly how many steps, I think it's like a seven-step program, but they bring women in that are in domestic violence situations with their kids, whatever, whatever they have. Um, they start them in kind of a group home situation, and they transition throughout this entire process of learning a job skill, which we're hoping we can kind of tie into a trades program, uh, learning how to manage finances, learning how to pay bills, and then they eventually get into an apartment and start paying a little bit of bills, and then in the long run, they go from a group home all the way to purchasing their own home and this this incredible charity walks them through every piece of that and starting a new life and starting a new life on a positive note. They also offer free mm-hmm. therapy for not only the mothers but the children too like it's It's just a really life changing thing that they're doing over there, so we want to be able to support them and Then the remaining twenty percent will keep in the Utah professional women in building, and hopefully we can do some other smaller projects throughout the upcoming years that we can still make an impact and still let young girls know that, Hey, there's a place for you in construction, but without building a whole nother house yeah. for free.
0: <laughs> well, I love that. I mean, I love the charity aspect and, and to understand that. So the sale of the home, right? Is that the sale of the home that those proceeds will then be broken out between the 60, 20, 20.
1: It is. Yeah, and you know, we we didn't get all of it donated. We ended up having to pay about $160,000 out of pocket. Um a big chunk of that was the land. We mm-hmm. we I was going to ask that is, a, was
0: the land donated or was that part of the cost?
1: It was part of the cost. Um Oakwood Homes gave us a lot in their New Wander community in Saratoga Springs for $88,000. Um we couldn't find anything else around yeah. here for any less. And to be quite honest, a lot of people loved the idea of what we were doing in the beginning, but didn't necessarily have the confidence in it that we did. Um, Again, I think I was a little bit of a skeptic in the beginning, just based off of my experience with the other charity project I worked on, Um, knowing how difficult it was to get people to work for free or Mm -hmm. to give you, you know, Sixty thousand dollars in donations that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was even a bit of a skeptic, but there there were a lot of builders that were here in the valley that just said uh, i don't I don't know if I can tie myself to that. Well, I will tell you today that two of those builders that told me no in the beginning for land have since donated cash donations to our project because they believe in it, and they that's see awesome. what it's doing so It's really great.
0: That's amazing. And explain what the Parade of Homes is. I mean, this is a pretty big event. You know, people travel from all over the country to the Utah Parade of Homes. I know my wife and I are going to be attending, so we're excited to see (laughs) the house we will be there, you know, in June. So yeah, talk to us about the event itself.
1: Yeah. The Utah Valley Parade of Homes is really, I would consider it probably the top parade in all of Utah right now. It's where we're seeing a lot of the growth. We're seeing a lot of tech jobs happening here in Utah County. So the growth is insane, there's a lot of money. Um, Utah Valley Parade of Homes usually has some pretty incredible stuff. So this year they have a house that's 18,000 square feet all the way down to our house, which is 3,200 square feet. And um, there's 26 homes, 26 homes in this parade. So they probably range, I don't know, an hour apart throughout all of Utah County. But you can take a weekend or a few days and come on out to Utah and get yourself a ticket for 20 bucks and go see a bunch of really incredible stuff. And I think my favorite part about the Parade of Homes is everybody's, it's all the new techy stuff, right? It's, it's all the products that people are trying to pitch to people to use in their homes. So even in the house that she built, Velux is a great example of that. Velux Skylights gave us three skylights and two sun tunnels to use in the house. Um, We had never planned on them being in there, but they really wanted to showcase this product. And it's a product that my clients use quite frequently, but it's such a cool thing to think about that there are skylights that have shades in them. They can open, let out hot air on the second story. If it gets warm up there, let it out. They've got solar panels on them. They're all ran off of solar. They have rain sensors. So if it starts to rain, they shut. And I think that you know, that's minimal in what you're going to see in the Parade of Homes. You'll see a lot of really unique stuff that's exciting, but obviously the house that she built is the best part.
0: It is the best part. And that's the one we can't <laughs> wait to go tour. And, you know, for most of the homes, yours is unique. Of course, as we mentioned that all of this is mm-hmm. for a charity aspect, many, mm-hmm. many of it, much of it was donated and including labor and material, you know, for the other homes that are in the parade. Are these client homes that they're okay presenting for the tour? Are they spec homes by the builders or is it a mix of both?
1: It's a mix of both. I actually serve on the board of directors for the Utah Valley Home Builders Association as well. Um, the, the mix we have this year is the majority of them are sold. There are a few that are available. And usually those are the more spec home market ones, I guess. It's crazy to say a million dollars is a spec home market house now, but here in Utah the price of houses is insane. So, yeah, I mean there there are a few that are available to purchase if you're interested. Um the house that she built is one of them. Yeah. So, <laughs> there will be some for sale, but a lot of these are houses that are people's homes that they're okay with letting people come walk through for 2 weeks before they get to move in. So, It's kind of a unique experience.
0: Well, I'm still super impressed because I'm, I'm looking at my build times for all of my projects and you mentioned you started this September of last year, correct? Mm -hmm. So here we are in may, you know, this is launching this episode and, and the parade of homes is in June. So the fact that you could start this in September and be done is quite impressive considering lead times for any house, any normal build house. To get to this point is difficult and then you add on to it everything that you're fighting against from material and all-woman uh, you know workforce is quite impressive so how did you expedite and and keep that schedule on point
1: you know um we had really great donors that was a big part of it so the people who did donate um were there were there on time they did what they said they'd do on top of that in areas that we couldn't find a lot of women framing is a great example we couldn't find an all-female framing crew and right. we've looked and looked and looked so we hired a local framing crew to come in and teach a bunch of women for a total of about five weeks how to frame so you'll if you come or if you get on the house that she builds instagram and um, watch any of our videos you'll see a lot of that but it's real estate agents, it's title people, it's mortgage lenders, it's general contractors, interior designers, just volunteers, a lot of students from the BYU construction program, um, all came out, grabbed some tools, and just learned how to frame. And it was really cool because the guys that actually came out to help teach were excited about teaching. They weren't annoyed. They weren't frustrated that, you know, things weren't moving at their normal pace they were actually excited to get tools in other people's hands and teach them a craft that they take so much pride in. So thanks to a lot of people that did that, a lot of people that were willing to donate tools, to donate time to come out and teach, that's really the the best way that we stayed on schedule. Um, I think a lot of it also comes down to just what the project is, right? Everybody hears about it and gets excited about it. And as the project moves along, we get more and more momentum and more and more people behind us to a point where people just go, Oh, no, I have to be a part of this, whatever it takes. And that's where we start to get monetary donations. And we start to get people here, take my sky miles, buy flights, whatever you need to do. That's super cool. people. Yeah, people just got excited to be behind it once they saw it actually working everyone wanted to be on board. So,
0: so why are you so passionate about this? Because the reality is to do something of this venture, even to take on a role as president, you know, of the women in building there in Utah, uh, it asks a lot, right? This is a commitment. You have your normal job, as we mentioned, which is one in itself. And, and so there has to be a passion that drives you. And so what, what, where does that come from?
1: My dad, <laughs> um, he. Community and community service has always been really important to him. So growing up, I remember even as a little kid, he volunteered on a radio station once to help rebuild a house for a family whose house burnt down on Christmas. And the mom got head to toe third degree burns. They lost everything. And uh, ever since that moment, he's just always been a really generous person. It's just who who he is. He served as president of the Salt Lake Home Builders Association and just served as president of the Utah State Home Builders Association. And one of the things when I was getting into construction that he told me is it's really important to be a part of your local home builders association. It's important to have peers. It's important to work side by side with people and create a good reputation for yourself. So I think giving back is just kind of in my blood. The house that she built is a little different just because I was lucky enough to be raised in construction. And I say lucky enough because I am extremely passionate about what I do and I love it. And I don't have to sit in an office all day. I don't have to sit in one spot. I get to bounce around. I get to meet new people. I couldn't think of anything I'd rather be doing. And so I just think that there's a lot of young women out there that are also maybe a little ADD like me (laughs) that can't (laughs) sit in one spot. Um, and, and just want to be out, they want to be out. They want to be doing something different. They want to be creating, they want to be crafting something with their hands. I just, there's just a passion behind it that it's really important to me. And I would love to just help anybody I can to get into a position where they could try it out and if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't great. But if any young woman walked in my office door and said, Hey, I want to try it. I wouldn't hesitate. I'd I'd love to give them a chance. So we just want to be able to give everybody that chance because some people just aren't fortunate enough to know someone to get them right into it.
0: Yeah. And you're thinking not only just barrier of entry, but, you know, as you mentioned, less than 3% of the workforce is women. So, you know, a lot of it's, well, how do I enter, you know, where can I go? You know, how do I get into the industry and what what, would I really like it? You know, and as you mentioned, whether it be the construction management programs at the universities that are around, they're very successful. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I did construction management in college, and there are a lot of um, women in there, which is awesome. And then also, even like you mentioned, where construction really takes you out of that office. You get to build. You get to create. You get to, you know, work in these different complex projects. And even whether it be interior design or architecture, yeah, architecture, you spend a little bit more time in the office and even to some extent in design. But you're still getting out there in the field, and you get mm-hmm. to see progress and see this stuff happen and so there's still that portion too where you can contribute in other ways even if it's not maybe framing the house right as you mentioned
1: right It it's just i can't think of anything better i i really love what i do and it's kind of my outlet i'm a huge introvert um, when i'm home i'm home i'm in my own zone i just kind of do my own thing so being in construction gives me an opportunity to be social. It gives me an opportunity to meet people and just get out. And I, I highly recommend it to anyone. So if there's anything I could ever do to help anyone, male, female, young, old, anybody get into construction, I'd love to help. So
0: So it's interesting you say to an introvert, because I think most people that are extroverts or have to be extroverts throughout the day, you know, when they come home, they want to be introverts because they have to recharge, right? (laughs) You got to recharge those batteries and have some downtime. So, you know, outside of that, what is something unique about you that most people wouldn't know?
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, It's funny. I say I'm an introvert and most people go, there's not a chance. And it's true. (laughs) I, um... It's kind of exciting for me to go to work and be outgoing and everything else. But yeah, I'm pretty quiet when I go home. I enjoy my time in the mountains. I enjoy my time on a dirt bike. I enjoy my time in the Razor. Um, I'm very outdoorsy kind of person, but yeah, I I don't know. I'm pretty open book, surprisingly.
0: (laughs) Well, it's good because, you know, when you think about hobbies, right, I mean, you're, you're so busy with everything you're uh, involved with, mm-hmm. Stephanie, from, you know, the, the charity aspect and the business. And so that outlet, you know, riding the dirt bike and getting out there, I mean, the benefit mm-hmm. you have is uh, a lot of good terrain and a lot of beautiful scenic landscape there in Utah. So I'm sure there's a lot of places to explore.
1: Yeah, we're really lucky here. And I recently took up fly fishing. So there you go. There's something people don't know.
0: (laughs) You did. In fact, I I believe you went out with Pella who, you know, they're, um, actually a sponsor of the show and they're a great partner of ours. We love Pella. So that's pretty fun.
1: Pella's the best. It's, uh, they treat us really well. So I love Pella.
0: So I guess in closing, you've been so beneficial, Stephanie. And, And again, for those listening, make sure you go to the Utah. Actually, I'll, I'll let you get the website in the closing where they can get tickets and stuff. But the Parade of Homes is something you should definitely go make time, Mm -hmm. go see, go see what Stephanie and uh, the house that she built, everything that went into it. And, you know, we're super excited about it. So, you know, from your side, Stephanie, what what do you have that's upcoming and exciting outside of, Mm -hmm. you know, the event next month?
1: Well, obviously the house is going to get sold. Uh, Utah's real estate market is insane at the moment. So we anticipate it being sold before the parade's over. So exciting and upcoming for us is all the scholarships. Um, we're still trying to figure out how we're going to work out the logistics of it all, it's kind of been on the back burner to the house, to be honest, everything's been on the back burner to the house, just to make sure we got it done. Um, but that's really exciting for us. The other thing that I am really looking forward to, and I hope that we get to do a lot of is just going to schools and talking to kids in the schools. I remember taking architectural drafting classes in high school and Mr. Strom who still teaches at Alta High School to this day taught me for all of my years through high school and I remember just being one of two girls that was in the entire class throughout my entire high school career and the great thing about it is that other girl that was in the class is also a very very successful interior designer and home builder here in Salt Lake as well and worked on the house that she built so those kinds of opportunities for us to maybe be able to go back into that same classroom and say, we sat in your seat a lot of years ago <laughs> <laughs> and this is where we're at today and there's a place for you. So that's exciting for me. I'm really looking forward to that and maybe looking forward to a vacation.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's well-deserved that vacation.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that's the uh, top of my list at the moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe back to Australia, you know, why not?
1: Why not? Yeah.
0: So where can our (laughs) our listeners find you?
1: Yeah. So you can find, uh, com. There's a page for the house that she built. That'll give you a bunch of information on us, our book that's coming out. Um, all the upcoming things with scholarships will be posted there. And then uh, you can also find us on Instagram, the house that she built, and you can find me on Instagram at Stephanie built it.
0: Well, Stephanie, you've been amazing. Appreciate all you're doing for the industry and especially for women in construction, you know, leading the charge there and what you've done in Utah and can't thank you enough for making time today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.